0: was one time and where God's grace has brought me, you know. You just think about, if you can think about how you thought about life even just five years ago, it's just amazing how the grace of God forbears with us in in such love. It's just amazing. I don't know how, I don't know how you cannot just look at him and look at your life and just not love him, you know. And, um, Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is kind of a one-off message. Joel's going to preach next week, and then we're going to jump into a series through Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11, maybe chapter 12 after that. That's what we're going to be doing this fall. And uh, there's a lot there. And so Hmm. pray for that, would you? Would you pray for the preparation of that? And... um, Every once in a while, the church needs uh, a little bit of an extra kind of come to Jesus moment, you know? And so that's what this is in Deuteronomy 30. That's what the message is today. It's an effort to recent, just kind of recenter and reprioritize everything that really matters. And so that's what we're going to find in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I will say, there are a few other things we want to talk to you about in regards to the doctrine of the church, but we'll just get to them when we get to them. Deuteronomy 30 will especially be in verses 11 through 20. I just titled the message, Not Too Hard for You. Not Too Hard for You. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today, is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and your heart, So that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Father, we ask that you would bless the proclamation of your Word by the power of your Spirit in your church this morning. We pray for prodigals to return to you with their whole hearts clinging to you and turning away from sins that... Have so easily entangled them. We pray that for us who are just drifting along, that it would get us off of our fence standing, that our hearts might be yours, that we might know life and blessing. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would heed your words for distracted to return to you. Do your work in us this morning to make us godly and encourage us by the power of your words to bring about our obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, we're not in Deuteronomy every day, so let me just give you a quick lay of the land. Uh, Deuteronomy means second law. And so what is happening in this book is Moses is retelling the law. He's retelling the law a second time. He's kind of summarizing the work of God in Exodus, Leviticus, Um, Numbers with the people of God, his works and what he's done with them uh, through that season. And the reason he's doing that is because you had a generation who was wandering around in the wilderness and dying off. And so the generation that was had grown up in Israel did not see and did not know all that, the, all that God had done in Egypt and following. And so, they've grown up wandering in the wilderness preparing to move into the promised land. And so, actually over in chapter 31, verse 13, that's exactly what Moses says. Uh, it says, And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to And so Moses is retelling the law of God. And um, because there's the generation raising up who doesn't know. And I just want to say as I get into it, fathers, your children need to hear from you the work of God in your life. They need to hear from you the stories of the work of God in your life. And as they get older, the more honest you need to be with them about it. You know, if you want to if you, and and if you want to get your children's attention and use it as an opportunity to actually teach them about the work of God in your life and his faithfulness and his redemption, then you're going to at some point have to tell them about your failures. And if you want to win their heart, tell them stories about your failures and how God was gracious And what God did through the failures. It's not just telling failures for failure's sake. It's about exalting the grace and goodness of God and redeeming you from those failures and growing you beyond them. So don't let it be said of you that your children didn't know. Don't leave your kids gospel-less. You realize it's, it's easy. It's actually really easy. I do this and I think I've done it in so many ways I don't even know. You don't even realize you're doing it, but what you do is you just assume truths that you have known for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, however long, and those truths never actually get from you to your children. You just they're just assumed. But your children won't make the same assumptions. You actually have to give them give them Truths, both in Scripture and in your life, the work of God in your life. And so don't leave your children gospel-less because you just make assumptions that, you know, how many times has it been said of of, of a father who raised their son and, um, you know, a son gets to college and and maybe finally hears the gospel clearly and then is ticked off at his dad because he was raised in church was like, Dad, you never told me this just don't let that be you don't let that be you and it's your job fathers it's not your it's your job and i and i don't mean just tell them like surface level truths i mean when you're sitting at the dinner table and you're talking to them and your questions are and they just answer yes and jesus and god you tell them no that's not good enough Yeah, but why? 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 Why is that true? All right. Just let them kind of hang around up here. You're the one who has to bring gravity and weight to the truth of God. You're the one who has to establish the fear of the Lord in your home, and you're the one who has to establish the truth of God in your home and in your children's hearts, and not just... Stupid sayings. Like teach them everything about God's truth and about just life. How does life work? This is God's world, everything He has made, He has given to us to live under the Sun, and so you teach them everything, including how to change the oil for the glory of God, and including if you do that at the quickie mart, you know. Whatever. Everything is about relationship to God, to people, to the world that they live in. All of it. Relationship to God as they understand it through God's work in your life. So, fathers, do not, absolutely do not drop the ball there. Now, in Deuteronomy, God has, uh, has commanded Israel at this point. Chapter 1, verses 6-8 to move on from Sinai, Mount Horeb, and they refused. Chapter 2 recounts the wilderness years. Chapter 5-10 through is the recounting of the Ten Commandments in more detail. Chapter 6 is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Chapter 7 speaks of the people of God as a holy people, a treasured possession. And then chapter 9 warns them. Chapter 9 warns them, when they're getting ready to take the promised land, you know what? One of the things God was afraid His people would do. And maybe even one of the primary things that He thought His people would do. To think that the reason that they were taking the promised land was because they deserved it and they were more righteous than the nations of Canaan. Than the peoples of Canaan. And so God actually, multiple times in Scripture, warns them and does it in Deuteronomy chapter 9. You're not taking the land because you're more righteous than the nations of Canaan. I mean, isn't that just what constantly justifies, like, Humanly speaking, that that kind of moral superiority and and conceit constantly justifies all kinds of bloodshed. That's not what's going on. God was judging the wickedness of Canaan, and he was very graciously making a people for himself. Nothing to do with their righteousness. Chapter 10 is the example the golden calf recounting. Then you see in chapters 10 through 27, um, worship in obedience to the true God, detesting idols, a variety of accounting of the law of God. You understand that when you read the law of God, you're reading the perfections of God applied in the world. That's what the law of God is. The law of God is the perfections of God applied in the world to how you live. That's why we summarize it with love God and love your neighbor thing can be summed up in love. And so when you read Deuteronomy, think this is all a picture of what love looks like. That's what the law is. This is why I despise today that everyone just runs from the words law of God. Keep the law of God. Obey God. Legalist. You know, your response, Loveless. So then you come to chapter twenty eight, and chapter twenty eight. Really an incredible passage in Scripture where God summarizes the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. And if you'll glance back there to Deuteronomy 28 just for a moment, in verse 2 is really this incredible verse, and all these blessings that he's going to recount after this verse, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I was reading this not long ago and never had noticed those words overtake you before. But all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then goes on to recount blessing after blessing. And then in uh, verse 15, But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes, that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Right, people always to defend their righteousness just say silly things like, Well, I never killed anybody. Well, good for you. You just really succeeded. vast majority of humanity has not done that in the most physical sense. But that's just not the question when we come to Scripture and to the nature of God. The question is, are you obeying God? That's the question. Are you obeying God? Because obedience... Is the thing. That's how you live in relationship to God. You're either obeying Him or you're disobeying Him. It's either blessing for obedience or cursing for disobedience. It's either life and good or death and evil. he goes on to finish chapter 28 with curses that will come for rebellion against God. Are you obeying God? That's the question that you have to ask yourself. Am I obeying God? And And, 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 I, don't, and, and I mean both in the details of life, but also just is my life set out to obey God? Is the general trajectory of my life set to obey God? I'm not talking about, like, I sinned and now my whole life is characterized by disobeying God. That's not what I'm talking about. And then I obeyed God and then had a sense of righteousness about myself. That's not what we're talking about either. Is your heart and your life committed to obeying God? Do I expect my home to obey God? Do you expect your church to obey God? You know, one of the questions that just cuts through endless amounts of our Christian nonsense today and of our rationalizations and of our sins in the church is just to ask the question, like as we try to explain everything away Is this actually obeying God? You have to choose. Is your life going to be about obeying God and enjoying the blessing of God, life and good? Or is your life going to be characterized by disobeying God and death and evil and cursing? That's the choice before the church. That's the choice before all humanity. Will you obey God? Man's responsibility is to obey God. Unbelievers don't get a pass on their rebellion against God because they're not obeying God. They're responsible to obey Him. Every position of authority is responsible to obey Him. Every human being on the planet is responsible to obey God. They are, will be guilty for rebelling against God. Just want you to think about your life right now. If you move, remove all of the just stuff that just kind of enters and you can just think about your heart and life for a moment, is your heart and life and the trajectory of your house to obey God. Fathers, it is your job to ensure obedience to God. It's your job. Now you say, you keep using the word obey, and I don't like it. Well, I'm not the problem here. You can take it up with God. What does He do repeatedly actually in these verses? Look, look back at chapter 28. Let me show you something. Verse 15, "...but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes..." like Why does He keep piling up terms? Because God isn't afraid of His law like we are. He's not afraid of us talking about His law. If you go back to chapter 30, look back in verse 16. If you obey... I mean, how many times is the word obey here? If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by what? By walking in His ways. By keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules. The church would do better to repeat the terms that God constantly repeats One of them is to obey His commands and His statutes and His rules and His laws and His ways. There's nothing legalistic about that. All the law of God is is the character of God on display in our hearts and lives and in His works. So what are you chasing in life right now? What are you seeking to make you happy? Where are you putting your trust? And is obedience the thing? Is obedience the thing? And if it isn't obedience, then what is it? And if it's disobedience and a pattern of disobedience, then what is that going to bring? What does God warn you about? Is that going to bring life and good and blessing? Absolutely not. By God's very promise, it will not. He has no problem taking His stand against our rebellion and you suffering your just due of cursing for it if you reject Him. I tend to think that many of you just want like a problem-free life. That's what you really want. You just want a life that's just kind of problem-free, long as everything just goes smoothly, everything's fine. Has that ever happened? Like, we keep wanting what's impossible and then expecting a different result. See, your whole life is organized around how things can just be problem-free. And so as soon as you're bumped, all of a sudden you have no faith You have no faith anymore as soon as you're bumped you don't trust God you're not going to obey God because you're angry at him you know because I don't know your wife sinned against you you know oh what a surprise that one caught me off guard I was actually living life like sin didn't exist anymore How does living a problem-free life and obeying God go together? You know, the way to the life that's happy is in obedience to God. God, what do you want me to do? How do I need to grow in loving my wife and giving my life up for her? How do I need to grow in giving her my attention? like, I don't know why you guys can't get the fact that your wife wants your attention. (laughs) And then you're like upset when she's upset about the fact that you never pay attention to her. You think she's having some weird emotional breakdown. It vexes me to no end that I cannot get you to do this. Stop being stubborn and loving yourself. Just stop it. Why does your wife never get your attention? Shame on you. Is obedience the heart of your life? So what do you do? What do you do? Because the in, the, in a certain sense, the heart of this church is to obey God. It, it wouldn't be what it is if the heart of the church wasn't to obey God, right? I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying today that all of a sudden I think our whole church is living in just complete rebellion against God. That's not the point of the message. The point of the message, is just, just take stock of your life. That's the point of the message, Take stock of your life and is, is the effort at obedience to God, to the commands of God, the heart of your life. And if it's not, where is it not? And if it's not, what do you do? You repent. That's what the first uh, 10 verses of chapter 30 are all about. But not just if it's wrong, but still if you're living under God's blessing. Why? Because if you're living under God's blessing, sometimes you're you're at risk, too. Do you ever notice, you know, parents, that what happens is you actually um, discipline your kids uh, well and then, like, you actually provide, like, peace in your home? And then, like, the peace comes and then you just don't do anything for a while and then all of a sudden everything goes to chaos? You know? And they're like, oh, Well, things were going well, and then I didn't do my job anymore. So now, everything's chaos. And is this not true of Israel? Constantly, the blessing of God led them to turn their eyes away from God because their faith actually wasn't in Him. And so whether it's blessing, um, whether it's obedience or disobedience, blessing or cursing, in chapter 30, verse 1, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has always driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. God will restore you. He'll restore you. He'll restore you. So today is a day to return to the Lord your God. Now, all of that to come to verse 11 of chapter 30. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Now, notice something here. Who's actually issuing the commandment? Is God issuing the commandment? Well, yes. But who's actually commanding here? Moses. God's not speaking in the first person here. Moses is speaking in the first person. Now, is Moses commanding what God wants him to command? Of course. And I just noticed that and just thought as a side note, it's important for you to understand that God commands through human instruments. But what you think is, is you, you don't think that there's any any pattern or corollary to the work of pastoral ministry. And I would encourage you to actually have faith in the way God works with the offices that He gives to His church. And you say, well, you have commanding authority as long as the Scripture says it. And I say, yeah, and the devil's in the details, isn't he? You can find a way to, you can find a way to convince yourself that you are completely obeying God, as if you look at the Bible verses. I mean, so, you're so good at it, aren't you? You are so good at it, are you not? Do you think I'm out of line to think that you're easily self-deceived? You are so good at this, and it's my job. As needed to command you in very specific ways to obey God, it's your job to have faith for that. What do you always think about God's commands? You think, generally speaking, you think that they're burdensome. Generally speaking, you think God must be capricious because he actually expects something of me. How could he ever say, how could he ever say to his people that you have to obey all that I command you today? You are responsible to obey the law of God. And when Moses uses the word the commandment right there in verse 11, he's, he's kind of summarizing the whole of the law as a commandment. All of it. He's emphasizing the totality of the law. How could God possibly actually uphold that to his people? And what are you es- essentially saying? It's too hard for me. It's too hard for me. Now, In one sense, apart from God's spirit and according to your flesh, it's impossible for you. But not necessarily in every single way. But it is impossible for you. Certainly not from the heart. And in another sense, we should freely be able to express, yeah, this is hard right now. (laughs) You know? Moms, like when you're losing it with your kids for like the sixth time in a day, right? Like, it is really hard for me to actually be patient and kind and to help my children get to where they need to go and do and be. It's hard. So we, there's some level of that that we can, we can kind of understand because we're sinful creatures, and our flesh is always wanting to abound. But then this is also true. God's actually the one here saying, obeying the commands of God is not too hard for you. It's not too hard for you, and it's not far off. It's not in heaven. It's not so hard or so far away that it's in heaven that you would have to go there and find out what all the words are that God wants you to obey. I've given them to you today. You don't have to go get it and bring it back. It's not like it's some distant reality that you can't actually access. It's not too hard for you in that sense. That's what he says... Who who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Now, here's the thing. That's what your heart always says. You don't use those terms, but when you're being pressed on a point of very specific obedience, what you want to think is, does God really require that? If somebody went to heaven and got the Word for me and brought it back to me that this is actually what God required of me, and told me that I would hear it and I would do it. Well, okay. Maybe it's not that hard. Someone doesn't have to go to heaven for me. That's okay. What they need to do is travel across the sea. And if they travel across the sea and they get the words of God, and they bring them back to me, then I'll hear and do the specific point of obedience that God requires of me. And Moses is saying, absolutely not. The whole thing that I'm doing here is telling you what God requires of you, and then it's not hard. Why? Why is it not hard? Not too hard for you that you can make excuses to stubbornly weasel out from under what God requires of you. Why? Verse 14 But the Word is very near you. The Word is very near you. You have Bibles in your homes. You hear preaching every week. You watch YouTube videos and Indulge in all kinds of other teaching of the Word of God and podcasts. It's it's more near you than it's ever been. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Now, it's true. You would think if a, if a church has faith in the doctrine of sin, you wouldn't have to always explain these things. And, but we all, always want to reject the doctrine of sin and not actually have faith in it. And so you always then you think. You think to yourself, well, so I can keep the law perfectly. Of course not. You can keep the law in a way that brings God pleasure and makes him happy as your father. You can walk humbly before God in ways that actually honor Him and delight Him. Practically, His great delight will be in the fullness of that transformation when the work of Christ is completed in us in glorification. And practically, we will do everything that delights Him. The Word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. I mean, the question of the world, isn't it always, well, has God really said, prove to me that that's what God requires of me? And this is the question of the church. Prove to me that this is what God requires of me. And your Bible isn't enough to do that. Bible and wisdom. Wisdom from those who understand the ways of God. You realize you're to obey wisdom. You realize that. You are to obey wisdom. You are, to, you are commanded to obey wisdom repeatedly in the scripture, especially in the book of Proverbs. Now, what is Wisdom. Because isn't there a lot of your obedience that you can't quite point to a verse of Scripture to explain? There's a lot that you can't quite point to a verse of Scripture. What you are doing is you're obeying God's ways put together in the Scripture to make sense of the life that He has given you and the way in which you should walk. What to say in this or that situation, you know? What to say when your mother-in-law goes off the rails at the family dinner? Or not say. <laughs> right? Like, there's no Bible verse for that. That's where a lot of our life, almost all of our life is actually lived See, the Word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Blessing goes with life and good, cursing, death, and evil. Both receive their due by the promise of God. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today. How? By loving Him. By loving Him. You know, when you come to church and you sense the love of God in your brothers and sisters, you gather in small group or you're sitting around table together and... You just think, I just love them. And, and, and what? how do you obey God? The same sense of, I just love Him. Where else is your love going to go that's going to be worthwhile anyways? He's the one who has the words of eternal life. He's the one whose grace has ransomed you. He's the one who shed His blood, our dear Lord Jesus. He's the one who loved you first. He's the One who provides abundantly for you in ways that you're never grateful for all year long, year after year, and day after day. Nobody in this room is missing meals. And it's not just that you're not missing meals, it's that everyone in this room has an abundance by God's hand and blessing. It's like. How, Sit around your table and just talk about reasons to love God. Why? Talk with your kids, dads. Why should we love Him? He died for us. Good. What does that mean? Like one of your favorite questions. If you want to just not blaze over the surface of everything, if you actually want to get down to the hardest, well, what does that mean? He died for you. He died for our sins. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. It's true depending on what you mean by it, but it's not good enough. What did He die for? He died to pay the full penalty for your sins. Give your kids truths about God for reasons why they might love Him because that's ultimately where all obedience is going to come from. That I love Him. By walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. Our church is doing that. Praise God. Nobody thought that was funny. All right. Ill-timed joke. Again. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Are you obeying God? I want the blessing of God for you. Moses wants the blessing of God for the people of Israel. God actually wants to give you his blessing. God takes no pleasure in people within the church going apostate and rejecting him and and enduring his curses and death and evil. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And certainly, no delight in children and teens growing up in the church and just rebelling against Him and going their own way and thinking they're wiser and they know everything and they have all the answers. Children, love the Lord your God and obey His voice. Be tender in your conscience and to correction. And young men, be tender in your conscience to correction to older, from older men. Be humble and have a spirit to learn and receive discipline and don't fight back. Because you are not wiser and you are not smarter and you have no idea how hard life is and the dangers that your choices are actually going to produce for you yet. And you also actually don't know how much blessing is available to you in the ways of God. You just have no idea yet. Everybody who hasn't experienced anything yet knows everything about what they haven't experienced. Every kid knows more than his parents, right? Every high schooler knows more than his teacher, On and on and on. that could go. Every 30-year-old knows more than every 60-year-old. Like, why is anybody who's 30 writing a book? It's like if they're 30, don't listen to them. If they're writing books. If they think everybody should listen to them, you shouldn't listen to them. Honestly, seriously. Not today, anyways. You you say your counter-argument is, yeah, but think about David Brainerd and his biography that he wrote in his 20s. And I say, yeah, and the degree of decadence we have in 30-year-olds compared to David Brainerd is pretty astronomical. Just don't listen to them. Just obey God. What if we just said, hey, what if I just obeyed God? course, the cursing is outlined in verse 17, but in just children, teens, would you hear me for just a second? Would you hear me just for a second? Having grown up in the church and heard so many truths, the dangerous for you is to just want to go experiment in the world and and really kind of prove to your parents that they were wrong, just hear this. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. One of the truest senses of apostasy in the Bible is children growing up in the church and then rejecting Him. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Children, teens, choose life. Choose the life that Jesus came to give. Choose the life that Jesus actually created you for. Choose the life that actually brings blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Choose the life that actually satisfies the soul in God. Choose the life that is actually with God and He with you. Choose, He is my Father. I will be His Son. I will be His daughter. Choose obedience to God and shun the world. The world's enticing you all the time, young ones, teens. Constantly enticing you. Choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. And you won't find life, even though you think you will. You will not find life anywhere else. Nowhere else will you find life. You won't drown it out in video games, you won't find life on any number of screens. You won't find life in the recklessness and foolishness of bad friends and relationships. You won't find life in the fast lane. A little bit of pleasure and a little bit of adrenaline and the cursing of God. Choose life. Choose life. And take stock of your life. Where are you headed right now? Is your heart God's? Is obedience the pattern of your life? Is that your striving? It must be your striving. If you want to choose life, it starts with bowing before Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who came to give life and give it abundantly. But Jesus had to die to pay the penalty for your sin in order that you could have this life. Because without Him, you do deserve death. And you deserve the judgment of God. And you deserve the wrath of God. And God is just and loving and good to give it to all who reject Him. But He gave you Jesus. His death. For your death to sin and your life His resurrection for your life eternal. So love the Lord your God. And obey His commandments. Stand with me for prayer, would you? Father, we pray that young people in our church would repent of their sins and choose to walk in the way of your commandments by faith in Jesus. God, I pray that your grace would transform hearts and lives by your words this morning. I pray for a self-examination across Bloomington Bible Church to take stock of where we're at in our ways. To fear you and to keep your commandments. May fathers teach their children. May the church fathers teach the sheep. May the sheep be willing to learn and hear and obey all that you command us this day. May our hearts cling to you and may we love you wholeheartedly. May we walk with you and trust that your ways are good, they are life and blessing, and that to turn away from you is curse and evil, and death. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help us to take heed in your Son's name. Amen.